0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. (laughs) Genesis 35 and 1, and God said unto Jacob, Arise go up to best Bethel notice arise and go up sound awful similar there's a couple different Greek words there but they both mean the same thing arise means to get up you're, you're, you're down you need to get up and then you need to go up you need to ascend from where you are to a higher place you need to get up from where you are and you need to start moving toward a toward a higher place toward a Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise. Let us all get up and then let us all go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but God has been with me. I'm so thankful that everywhere I've been, God has been with me. And if I could, just, just for the next few moments of time, preach to you on this subject dusty altars. Dusty altars. You put your Bibles down and lift your hands all over the building. God, we feel you here. Rotamaha. In such a magnificent way. Feel the overwhelming power of God. We know you're about to do a work, God, that we cannot do. I know you're about to do something in the spiritual realm, God, that's going to have monumental impact, that's going to have eternal impact in this place. I need you, God, to speak through me. samaha Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. You may be seated, dusty altars. It was on April 30th, 1789, the United States of America had been formed. The colonists had fought off the British, the revolution, and we'd signed the Declaration of Independence. There were steps being made to get out from among the rule and the tyranny of Britain and to form our own nation. And after we had won the battle and after we had begun to form our congress we all understand that July 4th we we signed the declaration but it was many years later that there was a formally formed government with the House and the Senate and the electing of our first president. And with all of this on this day in April all eyes were now placed on a balcony of Federal Hall in New York City where our newly elected President George Washington began to give his inaugural address, where he declares that America is a Christian nation. America is the nation founded on the principles, he says, of the Word of God. Allow me, if you will, to read just a few sentences of this address. Washington begins to say, We ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. In other words, we cannot expect heaven to, be, to continually smile upon us. We cannot expect God to continually look upon us with a smile on his face if we disregard what he has set in order from heaven. It was immediately following this address that the President and the Cabinet and the Senate and the House and all that were there that day at this inauguration, they make their way down to St. Paul's Chapel where they worship God and where they dedicated through prayer America as a nation unto God. It was at that point that dedication was made and prayer was given and they begin to consecrate themselves Before almighty God. This was April of 1789. I want you to mark that spot in your mind. And now follow me much farther back to a man named Jacob. I read so much about Jacob and his cunning ways. And he's a deceiver. And he's all of these things. Uh, All of the mistakes that he made. But we must understand that Jacob was the key. Jacob and his walk and his story with God played such an important role in the promises of God. He told Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it was not out of Abraham's seed. It was out of Isaac's, then out of Jacob's. Jacob's sons were the 12 tribes of Israel. There was so much riding on the life of Jacob today. I don't think we understand how much is riding on the decisions that we make in life. If you can just go by yourself and lock yourself away in a room and and have the audacity to look into a mirror and say that my decisions only affect me, there's something that we need to hear from God. What you make, the decisions in your life, they do not only affect you. They don't only affect you and yourself. There are some things that, that, that span through time and affect many people. Look at the life of Jacob, and we see that Jacob's father tells him to go find himself a wife, one that would be pleasing to his family and pleasing to God. Don't take a woman of this land, but find a woman of Abraham's lineage. Get somebody that we know, uh, uh, somebody that's part of our heritage. So, Jacob, on his way there, he separates himself. I, I've, I've got to understand. Jacob, a little bit. It seems, I hope I don't get ahead of my notes, that's all right. It seems that Jacob, every time there is a transitional point in his life, he separates himself, pulls away. And as he pulls away in this instant, he lays his head on a stack of stones, on a stone. And while sleeping in the night, he experiences a vision. And in this vision, he sees a ladder. And on this ladder, the angels of the Lord are ascending and descending upon the place where he is laying. And he says these words, surely this is the house of God. Surely this is the house of God. It's so amazing to me, catch this, that he associates an angelic visitation with the house of God. He associates angelic visitation with the house of God. I think Jacob was on to something right there. I think Jacob had caught a hold of something. Because when I come to the house of God, I don't expect to be here by myself. Uh-uh. I don't expect to just sing a few songs and go home. But when I get into the house of God, if I really step in to the house of God, I need to understand that there are some angels that are going up and down. There are some angels. My God, I'm telling you, when we begin to worship in this place and when we begin to seek the Lord, I believe that angels begin to line the walls. I believe that they begin to come in and say, oh, you need strength? Good, I'll touch you and give you strength. Oh, you need joy? I've been sent here to give give you the joy that you need. I believe that the word of God says that the angels are the messengers sent to the heirs of salvation. So when I come to the house of God, I better believe that he has sent something here for me. He has sent an angel down to give me strength. My God, I don't just want to come to a church service and sing a few songs, clap my hands, and say everything's all right, but I want an angel to touch me and give me strength so that I can make it through to next week, so I can make it through my life. The Bible lets me know that the angels desire to look into what we have. One time years ago before I met my wife I believe around the same time she said she was in service and her dad was trying to do a Bible study and he kept... Getting distracted throughout the service. And he kept going back to his Bible study. She said after a while of being distracted, he tells everybody to stand up. And she says tears begin to stream down his face. And he said as I was teaching a Bible study. He said an angel walked into this place. And everyone was standing at this point. And he said, stand up bro, I'm going to use you as an illustration. He said that as the angel went around, it did this. He said it was looking into hearts and it began to tell him what was in their hearts. And my wife could, you, you could be, see, thank you very much. My wife said that you could feel it when it would get near you, you could feel it and it would begin to look into your heart and tell. And he said, all of a sudden, it began to speak to him and say, Listen, if you don't confess, if you don't repent, and he began to call out one by one, you're getting ready to commit suicide. You're getting ready to walk out on God. You're, I'm telling you that if we are truly apostolic and if we truly step into the house of God, there will be something that happens. There will be a visitation of the Holy Ghost. There will be an angel that will step down and say I'll help you. I'll encourage you. I'm telling you right now the power of God is in this place. I believe that the anointing of the Holy Ghost has come to cleanse our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The house of God. Lord, how do you view the house of God? I want to move on, but but i just got how do you view the house of God? Is this just a place where we come to meet our friends? Is this just a place where we come to have fellowship? Or is this a place where I can lift my hands and say, God, if I don't get something from you tonight, I'm not going to make it till tomorrow. Lord, if I don't get strength tonight, I'm not going to make it till Sunday. Lord, if I don't get something tonight, there's no way I can make it another day. Jacob had had such an experience with God that when he wakes up that morning, he takes the stone that he had for a pillow and he sets it up and he makes the pillar and he begins to pour oil over it. He begins to anoint it. He begins to consecrate it to God. And it is there in that place, Jacob makes an altar, a place of remembrance, a place of consecration. And you got to catch the spirit of Jacob as he vows a vow to God. He's anxious. He's nervous. He's leaving home. He, He doesn't know what's going to happen. He fears he might never be able to return to his father's house. It is a time of transition, a time of fear. And in this time, Jacob makes a covenant with God. God, if you will be with me. If you will keep me, if you will allow me to come to my father's house in peace, then you will be my God. See, he was already Abraham's God. He'd already become Isaac's God. But at this point, Jacob had to make a decision whether this God was going to be his God or not. I'll make a covenant with you here, Lord. And if you'll prove yourself to me, you will be my God. If God will be with me, and then he says this, and of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. He offers to pay tithes. That's how I know he made a real commitment to God. I'll give you ten, ha, tenth. I'll pay the tenth. I'll give you anything. I'm just going to say, don't tell me you made a commitment to God if you haven't committed everything. Don't tell me you made a commitment to God if you can't give him a tenth. Just a a tenth. I'm not asking for a hundredth. I'm asking for a tenth. It was here at Bethel, the house of God, that Jacob makes a promise. He makes a commitment to God. I know tonight that Jacob isn't the only one, and I know that I'm not the only one. I'll speak for myself, but I know that I'm not the only one that's made commitments to God. I know in my life that I'm not the only one that's made promises and commitments. I'm not the only one that's ever come to an old altar, poured an anointing oil on it, and said, God, if you will be with me, if you will bless me, then I'll give you anything. God, if you will do this for me, then I'll do this for you. I'm not the only one I know that's come to an altar and made a commitment to God. I remember before I started evangelizing. I could, well, they tore down the house. So I can't take you there now. I condemned it. Yeah. If it was there, I'd take you to the place in our kitchen where I stood. I was overwhelmed with the task that I felt God had laid before me. I was feeling after the will of God and I knew that He'd spoken to me. But I'm standing there in my kitchen in the darkness of night. Everyone else had gone to bed. And I'm talking to the Lord and I'm giving Him my list of excuses why I can't. Lord, I don't know anyone. Nobody knows me. I just don't know how to do it. I can't. I'm nobody from nowhere, Lord. I can't do this. And after God lets me just talk it out amongst myself, I just stopped. And I said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then I'll do it. I'll do it with my whole heart. I'll give it all that I have if you will help me. I stood there in that kitchen, and there wasn't a stone there, and there wasn't a rock, and it wasn't anywhere, but i spiritually laid out that stone and I poured oil on it and I said God from this point I'll consecrate myself to you and I'll do whatever you want me to do if you will help me if you will help me you won't have to worry about me turning back God because I'll do what you want me to do if you help me you won't have to worry about me walking away from the house of God because I'll do whatever that you want me to do My God, Lord, you won't have to worry if I wreck and then lose everything on the middle of 69 near Indianapolis somewhere. You won't have to worry about me walking away because I already made a commitment and a stone, and I said I'll do whatever you want me to do. The Lord spoke to me that night, and he said, I know you don't know anything, but I'll put men in your life, and they will be there to help you. I can remember in a time of great spiritual awareness those commitments that I made, those promises that I committed to God. Nobody ever makes a commitment to God just about the backslide. Jacob didn't make a commitment when he was bound down to another idol. He made that commitment when he saw these angels, He, he was in the presence of God. See, it's always in a time of great spiritual awareness, always in the time where God moves upon you. It's always in those times where you feel just overwhelmed by the presence of God with tears streaming down your face that you say, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll make that commitment to you, God. Those altars that I had built, those memorials I had constructed, what a special time, what a great memory. But I believe that over a period of time that Bethel had simply become a memory to Jacob. Simply become something that he remembered, but he never intended on completing. Simply a distant memory. It's like when we come to the cross. And we look upon it and we touch the feet of Jesus and we ask for forgiveness and we get baptized in his name. We get filled with the Spirit. But over time, that commitment becomes a distant memory. The cross that we once were so close to becomes just a shadow of its former self. And we wonder so many times, why do they walk away from God? Why do they leave? Why do they do what they do? I'll tell you why. It's because the commitments that they made have become simply a memory of days gone by. A memory of yesterday. Jacob begins to acquire wealth. Jacob begins to gain fame. He begins to gain favor and popularity. He began to get... Land and riches and cattle and herds. Sheep, he had everything. It is astounding to me of the massive amount of livestock and money that Jacob had. When you read of his meeting with Esau, he begins to send herd after herd after herd. And I'm like, is this ever going to run out? This guy has accrued so much. He begins to gain all of these things in the course of his life. There's a very pivotal point when Jacob meets Esau. Once again, he must face the difficult place. And he's afraid. He's alone. He sent his family and all of his possessions over before him. And he stays alone that night. But it is so surprising to Jacob that in the middle of the night, a man comes out and begins to wrestle with him attacks him who is this he thought this is one of Esau's mercenaries this is a bandit this is somebody come to kill me and he tries with everything he has to get away from the man notice it's just like before only different he separated himself God is the last thing on his mind And all of a sudden, here comes a man that jumps out and begins to wrestle with him. But somewhere in the middle of this battle, Jacob realizes this is not an ordinary man. This is not just another man. This is not Esau's mercenary. And from that point on, it's no longer Jacob trying to get away from the man. It's the man trying to get away from Jacob. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. My God, Jacob catches something in the spirit of this man, and he says, I will not let you go. I don't know if there's anyone else in this room, but I've had a few nights like that. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I've had a few nights when I was afraid of what was coming tomorrow. A few nights when I didn't know what was going to happen. A few nights when worry had surrounded me. And the last thing on my mind was God. But all of a sudden, he jumped down into my room and said, let's get ready to rumble. And God grabbed a hold of me. I'm telling you, there are some things in our life that we don't need to let them become old, distant, dusty altars. But we need to say, God, I'll hold on and I won't let you go until you bless me. Oh, my God. I know what it was like. He jumped down in there and grabbed a hold of my heart, and I was making all the excuses. Lord, there's just too much going on in my life right now. I'm just too worried. I've got a lot going on. But when the presence of God begins to move upon you, when it began to move upon you, there was something inside of my spirit that said, there's no way I'm letting go. Come on, somebody has to remember one of those nights you had when all you could do was hold on. One of those nights you had when all you could do is hold on and cry out, I won't let you go until you bless me. I think tonight ought to be one of those nights for you where you grab a hold of God and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. I've got a lot going on, God. I've got a lot of problems right now. But I feel you right now in this place and I will not let you go until you bless me. I wish somebody right now would grab a hold of that spirit and say, I won't let you go until I'm changed. I won't let you go until I'm different. I know what your life has been. God knows what you've been through. But now, He wants to change all that. He wants to change your name. Don't let go until He blesses you. until you bless me. Lift your hands right now all over this building. Some of you've come tonight. I'm just going to tell you what I feel. The Holy Ghost. You've come with no intentions. You're so worried about situations. You're so worried about things going on. You didn't come here with any intention of doing anything that closely resembled getting in the presence of God. But I believe when we stepped in here, God jumped out and said, "Let's get ready to rumble. I'm going to grab a hold." And now we're saying, "Lord, don't let, don't let. I can't let you go now." You're done here. I can't let you go until you bless me. You're already in this place, God. I've already felt you move on me. I will not let you go until I'm changed. I won't let you go to this worry's out of my mind. I won't let you go until this anxiety is gone. I won't let you go until I know that you're with me. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. My God, I'm having one of those times right now where I just don't want to let them go. There's something stirring on the inside of me. I feel something beginning to shake in this place. I feel something beginning to move. There's somebody that needs to understand God is here. Don't you let Him walk on by you. Ah, 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 hallelujah. Yeah. Come on. Dust off that altar. Dust off that altar. Dust off that altar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. It is at this time that Jacob's name is changed. But after he meets Esau and everything's okay, he settles down near Shechem. He pitches his tent. He builds a nice place to live and he starts to get comfortable. He becomes friends with the people and everything's going good. But the bad news is he's forgot that he made a commitment to God. He forgot he made a covenant with God. And we find, I don't know how it happened. I don't know why it happened. But Jacob's life begins to take a turn for the worse. His sons begin to take on the attributes of daddy. And they become deceivers. And they become murderers. And they deceive these people, these good people, and they murder them down in cold blood. His family is out of control. Things begin to spiral downhill. Jacob can't stay and check him anymore because he's afraid, and he has nowhere to go. He has no direction. He doesn't know what's up. He doesn't know what's down, and this is when God speaks to Jacob and says, Jacob, it's time to get up from where you are. It's time to get up from where you are. My Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody. There are some situations that you've been facing in your life, and you're sitting there saying, Lord, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. I don't understand. I have no direction. Everything is going out of control. And I believe that the Spirit of God is speaking to someone in this room and saying, get up and go back to that commitment that you made to me. Get up and go back to Bethel. Get up and go back to the mountaintop. Get up and go back to where you made that commitment. (laughs) Holy God. Let me tell you how bad it got in Jacob's life. He's ready to leave, but he has to tell his family to put their idols away. Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The lineage. He has to tell his family. Put away the strange gods. Put away your idols. Throw them away. We've got to go to Bethel. We've got to go. See what happens when you get away from the house of God. What happens when you walk away from that cross, that commitment that you made there? Put away the strange gods. Put away that we can't take those with us. Clean up. Change your clothes. We've got to go back to Bethel. It had been 10 years since Jacob was in Canaan. That promise that Jacob made was nothing more than a distant memory. He'd forgotten all about the prayer. And that promise he made to God when he was weak and afraid. And when he was nobody, he'd forgotten about it. But now it's time to go back to Bethel. How easy it is to make a covenant with God. But over the course of our lives, forget that we'd build an altar. easy it is to accrue wealth and fame and popularity, get ourselves into a place where we forget about our previous commitments with God. But I feel the spirit that God's calling someone to arise. Go back to Bethel. Go back to that place where you made a commitment with God. Go back to the place where you made a promise to God. Go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where you said, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. There is a longing in my spirit to go back to that time, to that much simpler time. Maybe to a time when nobody knew who I was. Maybe to a time when nobody knew my name. Maybe to a time when I can kneel down at an altar and not worry if anyone noticed the tears streaming down my face. Take me back to Bethel, God. Take me back to that place of commitment with you. I'm not saying I'm not thankful. I'm not saying I'm not gracious. I'm saying help me God not to forget that I made a commitment to you. Help me not to build such great towers that I forget about Bethel. Help me not to make myself of some name and forget that I made a commitment to Bethel. Somebody in this house needs to remember you made a commitment to God. It was at this altar, I was anointed. It was at this altar. I made a covenant. It was at this altar. I talked with God. Take me back to the old landmark. God, take me back to that dusty altar. There is a call in the spirit tonight that I feel so deeply right now that God is calling for some saints to come back to Bethel. Come back to that empty prayer closet. Come back to that time of study. Come back to that time of commitment. Come back to to Bethel. Put away the strange gods. Be clean. Change your garments. Come back to Bethel. There's prayer warriors that have turned into gossip warriors. We need to come back to Bethel. There's worshipers that have turned into warriors. We need to come back to Bethel. Arise and let us go up to Bethel. And I'll make another altar to God. Because when I called on him in my distress, he answered me. And I want to tell somebody tonight that if you call on him now, he'll answer you like he did back then. But I challenge you to go back to Bethel. Clean off that dusty altar and go back to Bethel. I challenge you to make new dedication to God. Go back to that altar and make some new commitments to God. Can I challenge you tonight to make a commitment to pray more every day? You might not shout and dance, but I believe God's about to move in and some people are about to pour out some things on an altar. Can I challenge you to make a commitment to fast more? Can I challenge you to make a commitment to lay down Facebook and pick up the good book. Can I challenge you to make some commitments to God? To exchange TV time for prayer time? To make a commitment that I've got to go back to an altar? Stand with me all over the house. An altar is a place of worship. It's a place of commitment. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of dedication. It's a place of anointing. God, give me a fresh anointing. Give me a fresh dedication. Help me not to get too far from Bethel. There's some altars right now that someone needs to just wipe the dust off. (laughs) We would bow our heads, close our eyes all over the building.